Chapter 5 of The Castaways of the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Castaways of the Flag by Jules Verne. Chapter 5 A Barren Shore. The castaways had reached land at last. Not one of them had succumbed to the fatigue and privations of their fortnight's voyage under such distressing and dangerous conditions, and for that thanks were due to God. Only Captain Gould was suffering terribly from fever, but in spite of his exhaustion his life did not appear to be in danger, and a few days' rest might set him up again. The question rose, what was this land on which they had disembarked? Whatever it was, it unhappily was not New Switzerland, where, but for the mutiny of Robert Borrocht and his crew, the flag would have arrived within the expected time. What had this unknown shore to offer, instead of the comfort and prosperity of Rock Castle? But this was not the moment to waste time over such questions. The night was so dark that nothing could be seen except a strand backed by a lofty cliff, at its sides bastions of rock. It was settled that all should remain in the boat until sunrise. Fritz and the boatswain were to keep watch until the morning. The coast might be frequented by natives, and vigilance was necessary. Whether it were Australian continent or Pacific island, they must be upon their guard. In the event of attack they would be able to escape by putting out to sea. Jenny, Dolly, and Susan therefore resumed their places beside Captain Gould, Frank and James stretched themselves out between the benches, ready to spring up at the call of the boatswain, but for the moment they had reached the limit of their strength, and they fell asleep immediately. Fritz and John Block sat together in the stern, and talked in low terms. "'So here we are in harbour, Mr. Fritz,' said the boatswain. "'I knew we should end by getting there.' If it isn't, properly speaking, a harbour, you will agree at any rate that it is ever so much better than anchoring among rocks. Our boat is safe for the night. Tomorrow we will look into things. I envy you your cheerfulness, my dear Block, Fritz answered. This neighbourhood does not inspire me with any confidence, and our position is anything but comfortable, near a coast whose bearings we do not even know. The coast is a coast, Mr. Fritz. It has got creeks and beaches and rocks. It is made like any other, and I don't suppose it will sink from under our feet. As for the question of leaving it, or of settling on it, we will decide that later. Anyhow, Block, I hope we shall not be obliged to put to sea again before the captain has had a little time to rest and recover. So, if the spot is deserted, and if it has resources to offer, and we run no risk of falling into the hands of natives, we must stay here some time. "'Deserted it certainly seems to be, so far,' the boatswain replied, "'and to my thinking it is better it should be.' "'I think so too, Block, and I think that we should be able to renew our provisions by fishing if we can't by hunting.' "'As you say so, sir, then, if the game here only amounts to sea-birds, which one can't live on, we will hunt in the forests and plains inland, and make up our fishing that way. Without guns, of course.' "'What brutes they were, Block!' not even to leave us any firearms. They were perfectly right in their own interests, you understand. 
the boatswain replied. Before we let go, I could not have resisted the temptation to shoot at the head of that rascal Burrupt, the treacherous hound. Traitors all, Fritz added, all of them who stood in with him. Well, they shall pay for their treachery some day, John Block declared. Do you hear anything, boatswain? Fritz asked suddenly, listening intently. No, the sound is only the ripples along the shore. There is nothing to worry about, so far, and although the night is as dark as the bottom of the hold, I've got good eyes. Well, don't shut them for a moment, Block. Let us be prepared for anything. The horser is ready to be cast off, the boatswain answered. If need be, we shall only have to seize the oars, and with one shove, with the boat-hook, I'll guarantee to drive the boat a good twenty yards from the rocks. More than once, however, during the night, Fritz and the boatswain were set on the alert. They thought they could hear a crawling sound upon the sandy shore. Deep silence reigned. The breeze had died away, the sea had fallen to a calm. A slight surf breaking at the foot of the rocks was all that could be heard. A few birds, a very few, gulls and sea-mews flying in from the sea, sought their crannies in the cliffs. Nothing disturbed the first night passed upon the shore. Next morning all were astir at daybreak, and it was with sinking hearts that they examined the coast on which they had found refuge. Fritz had been able to see part of it the day before, when it was a mile or so away. Viewed from that point, it extended ten or twelve miles east and west. From the promontory at the foot of which the boat was moored, only a fifth of that, at most, could be seen, shut in between two angles, with the sea beyond clear and lucent on the right hand, but still dark upon the left. The shore extended for a stretch of perhaps a mile, enclosed at each end by lofty bastions of rock, while a black cliff completely shut it in behind. This cliff must have been eight or nine hundred feet in height, rising sheer from the beach, which sloped steeply up to its base. Was it higher still beyond? That could only be ascertained by scaling the crest by means of the bastions, one of which, the one to the east, running rather farther out to sea, presented an outline that was not so perpendicular. Even on that side, however, the ascent would be an uncommonly difficult one, if indeed it were not impracticable. Captain Gould and his companions were first conscious of a feeling of utter discouragement as they beheld the wild desolation of this carpet of sand, with points of rock jutting out here and there. Not a tree, not a bush, not a trace of vegetation. Here were the melancholy and horror of the desert. The only verdure was that of scanty lichens, those rudimentary productions of nature, rootless, stalkless, leafless, flowerless, looking like scabby patches on the sides of the rocks, and of every tint from faded yellow to brilliant red. In some places, too, there was a kind of sticky mildew caused by the damp. At the edge of the cliff there was not a blade of grass. On its granite wall there was not a single one of those stone crops or rock plants which need so very little soil. Was it to be deduced that soil was lacking on the plateau above as well? Had the boat found nothing better than one of those desert islands undeserving of a name? It certainly isn't what you might call a gay place, the boatswain murmured in Fritz's ear. Perhaps we should have had better luck, 
if we had come ashore on the west or east perhaps block assented but at any rate we shall not run up against any savages here for it was obvious that not even a savage could have existed on this barren shore jenny frank dolly james and susan sat in the boat surveying the whole coast so different from the verdant shores of the promised land even burning rock gloomy of aspect as it was had had its natural products to offer to jenny montrose the fresh water of its stream and the game in its woods and plains here was nothing but stones and sand a bank of shells on the left and long trails of seaweeds left high and dry by the tide verily a land of desolation the animal kingdom was represented by a few sea-birds gulls black divers sea-mews and swallows which uttered deafening cries at finding their solitude disturbed by the presence of man higher up great frigate-birds halcyons and albatrosses sailed on powerful wings well said the boatswain at last even if this shore is not so good as yours in new switzerland there's no reason for not landing on it then let us land fritz answered i hope we shall find somewhere to shelter at the foot of the cliff yes let us land said jenny dear wife said fritz i advise you to remain here in the boat with mrs wollston and dolly while we make our trip there is no sign of danger and you have nothing to be afraid of besides the boatswain added we most likely shan't go out of sight fritz jumped on to the sand followed by the others while dolly called out cheerfully try to bring us back something for dinner frank we're relying upon you we must rely on you rather dolly frank replied put out some lines at the foot of those rocks we'd better not land mrs woolston agreed we will do our best while you are away the great thing fritz remarked is to keep what little biscuit we have left in case we are obliged to put to sea again now mrs fritz john block said get the stove going we're not the kind of people to be satisfied with lichen soup or boiled pebbles and we promise to bring you something solid and substantial the weather was fairly fine through the clouds in the east a few sun rays filtered fritz frank james and the boatswain trudged together along the edge of the shore over sand still wet from the last high tide ten feet or so higher the seaweeds lay in zigzag lines some were of kinds which contained nutritive substances and john block exclaimed why people eat that when they haven't got anything else in my country in irish seaports a sort of jam is made of that after walking three or four hundred yards in this direction fritz and his companions came to the foot of the bastion to the west formed of enormous rocks with slippery surfaces and almost perpendicular it plunged straight down into the clear and limpid water which the slight surf scarcely disturbed its foundations could be seen seven or eight fathoms below to climb along this bastion was quite impossible for it rose perpendicularly it would be necessary to scale the cliff in order to find out if the upper plateau displayed a less arid surface moreover if they had to abandon the idea of climbing this bastion it meant that they could only get round it by means of the boat the matter of present urgency however was to look for some cavity in the cliff wherein they could take shelter 
so all went up to the top of the beach along the base of the bastion. When they reached the corner of the cliff, they came upon thick layers of seaweeds, absolutely dry. As the last watermarks of the high tide were visible, more than two hundred yards lower down, this meant, the steep pitch of the shore being taken into account, that these plants had been thrown up so far, not by the sea, but by the winds from the south, which are very violent in these waters. If we were obliged to spend the winter here, Fritz remarked, these seaweeds would supply us with fuel for a long time, if we could not find any wood. Fuel that burns fast, the boatswain added. Before we came to the end of heaps like that, of course, but we have still got something to boil the pot with today. Now we must find something to put in it. Let's look about, Frank answered. The cliff was formed by irregular strata. It was easy to recognize the crystalline nature of these rocks, where feldspar and gneiss were mixed, an enormous mass of granite, of plutonic origin and extreme hardness. This formation recalled, in no respect to Fritz and Frank, the walls of their own island from Deliverance Bay to False Hope Point, where limestone only was found, easily broken by pick or hammer. It was thus that the grotto of Rock Castle had been fashioned. Out of solid granite, any such work would have been impossible. Fortunately, there was no need to make any such attempt. A hundred yards from the bastion, behind the piles of sea-rack, they found a number of openings in the rock. They resembled the cells of a gigantic hive, and possibly gave access to the inside of the rock. There were, indeed, several cavities at the foot of this cliff. While some provided only small recesses, others were deep and also dark, owing to the heaps of seaweed in front of them. But it was quite likely that, in the opposite part, which was less exposed to the winds from the sea, some cavern opened into which they might carry the stores from the boat. Trying to keep as near as possible to where the boat was moored, Fritz and his companions walked towards the eastern bastion. They hoped to find this more practicable than the other, because of its elongated outline in its lower portion, and they thought that they might be able to get round it. Although it stood up sheer in its upper portion, it sloped towards the middle and ended in a point by the sea. Their anticipations were not disappointed. In the corner formed by the bastion was a cave quite easy of access. Sheltered from the easterly, northerly and southerly winds, its position exposed it only to the winds from the west, less frequent in these regions. The four men went inside this cave, which was light enough for them to see all over it. It was some twelve feet high, twenty feet wide, and fifty or sixty feet deep, and contained several unequal recesses, forming, as it were, so many rooms set round a common hall. It had a carpet of fine sand, free from any trace of damp. Entrance to it was through a mouth, which could be easily closed. "'As I am a boatswain,' John Block declared, "'we couldn't have found anything better.' "'I agree,' Fritz replied. "'But what worries me is that this beach is absolute desert, "'and I'm afraid the upper plateau may be so too. "'Let us begin by taking possession of the cave, "'and we will attend to the rest presently.' "'Oh,' said Frank, 
that is not much like our house at rock castle and i don't even see a stream of fresh water to take the place of our jackal river patience patience the boatswain answered we shall find some spring all right by and by among the rocks or else a stream coming down from the top of the cliff anyhow fritz declared we must not think of settling on this coast if we do not succeed in getting round the base of those bastions on foot we must take the boat and reconnoitre beyond them if it is a small island we have come ashore upon we will only stay long enough to set captain gould up again a fortnight will be enough i imagine well we have the house at all events john block remarked as for the garden who is to say that it isn't quite close by on the other side of this point perhaps they left the cave and walked down across the beach so as to get round the bastion from the cave to the sea-rocks washed by the sea at half-ebb was about two hundred yards on this side there were none of the heaps of seaweeds found on the left-hand side of the beach this promontory was formed of heavy masses of rocks which seemed to have been broken off from the top of the cliff at the cave it would have been impossible to cross it but nearer the sea it was low enough to get across the boatswain's attention was soon caught by the sound of running water a hundred feet from the cave a stream murmured among the rocks escaping in little liquid threads the stones were scattered here which enabled them to reach the bed of a little stream fed by a cascade that came leaping down to lose itself in the sea there it is there it is good fresh water john block exclaimed after a draught taken up in his hand fresh and sweet frank declared when he had moistened his lips with it and why shouldn't there be vegetation on the top of the cliff john block inquired although that is only a stream a stream now fritz said and a stream which may even dry up during the very hot weather but no doubt a torrent in the rainy season well if it will only flow for a few days longer the boatswain remarked philosophically we won't ask anything more of it fritz and his companions now had a cave in which to establish their quarters and a stream which would enable them to refill the boat's casks with fresh water the chief remaining question was whether they could provide themselves with food things did not look too promising after crossing the little river the explorers had a fresh and deep disappointment beyond the promontory a creek was cut into the coast in width about half a mile fringed with a rim of sand and enclosed behind by the cliff at the far end rose a perpendicular bluff whose foot was washed by the sea this shore presented the same arid appearance as the other here too the vegetable mounds were confined to patches of lichen and layers of seaweeds thrown up by the tide was it then on a mere islet a rocky lonely uninhabitable island in the pacific ocean that the boat had come ashore there seemed every reason to fear so it appeared useless to carry the exploration as far as the bluff which enclosed the creek they were about to go back to the boat when james stretched out his hand towards the shore and said what is that that i see there on the sand look those moving specks they look like rats from the distance it did indeed look as if a number of rats were on march together towards the sea rats 
said Frank inquiringly. The rat is game when he belongs to the Andrata genus. Do you remember the hundreds we killed for it when we made that trip after the boa constrictor? I should think I do, Frank, Fritz answered, and I remember too that we did not make much of a feast off their flesh, which reeked too much of the marsh. Right, said the boatswain. Properly cooked, one can eat those beggars, but there's no occasion to argue about it. Those black specks over there aren't rats. What do you think they are, Block? Fritz asked. Turtles. I hope you're right. The boatswain's good eyesight might have been trusted. There actually was a crowd of turtles crawling over the sand. So while Fritz and James remained on watch on the promontory, John Block and Frank slid down the other side of the rocks in order to cut off the band of chillones. These tortoises were small, measuring only twelve or fifteen inches, and long in the tail. They belonged to a species whose principal food consists of insects. There were fifty of them, on march not towards the sea, but towards the mouth of the stream, where a quantity of sticky laminarii left by the ebb tide were soaking. On this side the ground was studded with little swellings, like bubbles in the sand, the meaning of which Frank recognised at once. "'There are turtles' eggs under those,' he explained. "'Well, dig up the eggs, Mr. Frank,' John Block replied. "'I'll belay the fowls. That's certainly ever so much better than my boiled pebbles, and if little Miss Dolly isn't satisfied—' "'The eggs will be warmly welcome, Block, you may be sure,' Frank declared. "'And the turtles, too. They are excellent beasts. Excellent for making soup, I mean.' A moment later, the boatswain and Frank had turned a score of them over onto their backs. They were quite helpless in that position. Laden with half a dozen of them, and twice as many eggs, they went back towards the boat. Captain Gould listened eagerly to John Block's story. Since he had been spared the shaking of the boat, his wound had been paining him less, the fever was beginning to go down, and a week's rest would certainly put him on his feet again. Wounds in the head, unless they are exceptionally serious, generally heal easily and soon. The bullet had only grazed the surface of the skull after tearing away part of the cheek, but it had been within an ice of going through the temple. A speedy improvement could now be looked for in the condition of the wounded man, thanks to the rest and care which he could now obtain. It was with much satisfaction Captain Gould learned that turtles abounded in this bay, which was named Turtle Bay in their honour. It meant the guarantee of a wholesome and plentiful food, even for a considerable time. It might even be possible to preserve some of it in salt, and load the boat with it when the time came to put to sea again. For, of course, they would have later to seek a more hospitable shore to the northward. If the tableland at the top of the cliff proved to be as unfertile as that of Turtle Bay, if it had no woods or grasslands, if, in short, the land on which the passengers of the flag had come ashore proved to be nothing more than a mere heap of rocks. "'Well, Dolly, and you too, Jenny,' said Frank, when he got back, "'are you satisfied? How has the fishing gone while we have been away?' "'Pretty well,' Jenny answered pointing to several fish lying on the poop. "'And we've got something better than that to offer you,' added Dolly merrily, 
What's that, then? Fritz asked. Muscles, the girl answered. There are heaps of them at the foot of the promontory. Look at those boiling in the saucepan now. Congratulations, said Frank. And you owe us congratulations, too, Jenny, for we have not come back empty-handed. Here are some eggs. Hen's eggs? Bob exclaimed eagerly. No, turtles, Frank replied. Turtles' eggs, Jenny repeated. Did you find turtles? A regiment of them, the boatswain told her. And there are lots more. There are enough to last us all the time we shall be at anchor in the bay. Before we leave this bay, Captain Gould put in, I think we ought to reconnoitre along the coast or climb to the top of the cliff. We'll try it, Captain, John Block answered. But don't let us be in a greater hurry than we need be, since it's possible to exist here without touching what we have left of the biscuit. That's what I think, Block. What we want, Captain, Frank went on, is that you should have a rest to allow your wound to heal, and you to get back your strength. A week or two is nothing to spend here. When you are on your feet again, you will have a look at things for yourself, and you will decide what is best to be done. During the morning they proceeded to unload the boat of all that it contained, the bag of biscuits, the casks, the fuel, the utensils and the clothing, and everything was carried within the cave. The little stove was set up in the corner of the bastion, and was first employed in making the turtle soup. As for Captain Gould, he was carried to the cave by Fritz and the boatswain. A comfortable bed was waiting ready for him made of dry seaweed by Jenny and Dolly, and there he was able to enjoy several hours' sleep. End of chapter 5